and she is uh, in rehab after a stroke, and so I just uh, encourage you to pray for my mom. Her name is Dixie, and uh, just appreciate that. So uh, it's a little wild around our house right now, but uh, speaking of wild and uh, really coming to the end of the whole ministry thing, although we got weeks and weeks ahead of teaching, uh, we're coming to the end of Jesus' life. Like Literally, we're within days of him being put on the cross as we're working our way through the scripture here. And we finished last week with him raising Lazarus from the dead. And, you know, I, th- I, I thought about this is like Lazarus like wakes up and he's got this l- linens around his head. And he literally reconnects his his soul spirit with his flesh body. Like I believe that he was probably in Abraham's bosom. Remember Jesus it's four days. His body was already starting to smell. <laughs> Did he come out smelling? You know, all the, after I was done last week, I started thinking about all these things. It's like he came out and he gets up and he walks out and he can't see anything. I can't imagine, you know, what he was doing as he walked out and Jesus, like, says to him, unwrap him. <laughs> you know, set him free. Let him see, and so the moment that they took the linens off, and he saw, he saw his not only his friend's face, but he saw his savior's face, and he knew he was the Messiah. He knew he was the Messiah, and the multitudes are standing around. We know that the disciples were standing there because Jesus kept saying all along, "I'm going to show you. I want you to see how God works." And then we also know that the the Pharisees were standing there. Because he had told them all along, I'm going to show you one more sign. I'm going to show you the sign of Jonah. You're going to see this miracle of Jonah, which is a resurrection. And so they saw it. And that's where we walked away. We left the story hanging there. So I want to pick up where we left off in John chapter 11, verse 45. It says, therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary saw what he did, believed believed in him now they literally saw Lazarus raised from the dead and it caused many of them to go okay he is the Messiah enough that it didn't take long for that word to spread they're in Bethany which is about two miles away from Jerusalem and the temple mount It's getting ready to be Passover and all the Pharisees and all the Sadducees and the high priest were gathering in Jerusalem to get ready for the Passover. And the news traveled quickly within two miles that Jesus has now raised Lazarus who was dead four days. They believe that the spirit may linger for three days, but on the fourth day he's for sure dead. Jesus made for sure that Lazarus was dead when he raised him from the dead. And it says, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the Sanhedrin 
and we're saying, what are we going to do since this man is doing many signs? Now, <laughs> this is interesting in itself because uh, let me show you this. This is what the Sanhedrin was made up of. When you hear the word Sanhedrin, I know you're on the front row and you can't see the screens, but uh, if you if you look to the side there, the, 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 this is a picture of the Sanhedrin meeting. It's very similar to anything political that you would see today. It was made up of 35 Pharisees and 35 Sadducees, and then there was one high priest. And at the time, this high priest who sat in the middle there was Caiaphas. And they had jurisdiction over all that that eastern part of Jerusalem and Bethany. And now someone has come to the Sanhedrin and they've convened. This is like putting all the Republicans and the Democrats in the room together. You see, because the Pharisees were the ones that were responsible for teaching the law, but the, but the, the Sadducees were the ones that, that pretty much took care of the law. And the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection, but the Pharisees did. It was like they totally believed opposite things, yet they came together to govern and jurisdict this area around them. So now Jesus has caused this problem and they decide to come together. It's like all of a sudden, and here's where they met. I want to show you where they met. That they actually met inside the temple. This is the the temple that that Herod built. You can see the Holy of Holies on the left side, but down here in that small area, you take that picture that you saw just previously and put it there in the chamber of hewn stone. You can see how big that temple was. That temple mount was huge. So this is where they met. They actually met inside Herod's temple. All right. So now they've come together and they said, we have an issue. We've got to solve this issue. And we're going to be together on it. It's just like the United States. If somebody comes and attack, I guarantee you the Republicans and the Democrats are going to say, hey, we're in this thing together. Let's get together and figure this thing out. All these other issues kind of set aside at the point at the, at the right time but this this is important because jesus is about to mess up everything we've got it says what are we going to do since this man is doing many signs they recognized that jesus was doing miracles now here's here's the good news is that if I look at John 14.10, I realize that Jesus didn't do any miracles. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to inform you, Jesus didn't do any of the miracles because look what he says right here. He says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Jesus is simply saying, all these signs, all these miracles that you've seen, I didn't do them. The Father did them through me. I, I go back to this thing that actually Chloe made. Sorry. But it was this envelope right here. This is, a, this is as simple as it gets. This is God. And inside of God, there's Jesus. Jesus is in the Father. And then inside the Father, there was Chloe. So everything that Chloe does, she does through the Father because she's in Jesus. 
That's as simple as it gets, people. That's as simple as it gets. If you want to figure out how to do life and how to rest and how to have Sabbath rest, this is exactly what it looks like. Chloe and Jesus, and Jesus the Son, is in the Father. And Chloe rests. That's it. All the stuff you're, you're, you're doing, as Rick was talking about earlier, it's right here. This is your answer. So they're sitting there saying, Jesus has done all these miracles, and Jesus is saying, I didn't do those. My Father did. Now watch this. Verse 10, it says, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Then they go back to verse 48. It says, If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Somebody inquired about that verse this week. What does that mean? That room that they're all sitting in, those positions... Those titles, their income, everything that they built up for themselves would be taken away if Jesus was for real. And they didn't want the Romans coming in and destroying what all they had. So there's no way they were going to allow Jesus to be the Messiah. Verse 49, it says, One of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. You're not considering that it is to your advantage that one man should die for the people rather than the whole nation perish. (laughs) He's the thinker. You're right. He's the thinker. They're all freaking out in there and saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And he's like, hey, this is pretty simple. If we let this one man If we let this one man be the truth and sell us out, this whole thing falls and crumbles and we all die. And they're like, you're right. We've got to do something. Well, you're sitting here today and uh, those Sanhedrin saw it one way, the way that Caiaphas presented it. But you're sitting here today with what Matt said, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living in you, and you can see it two ways. <laughs> you you can see it two ways. What Caiaphas just said, you can obviously see what he just said, that, hey, this whole thing's going to crumble if we let this man go. But what about the fact that it says uh, in verse 51, he did not say this on his own, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. Literally, Caiaphas was speaking prophecy that Jesus was going to die and it was going to be for the nation. He literally spoke prophecy as the high priest sitting in that seat, yet they only saw it one way. Our friend Bob Warren likes to say that God schemes the schemer. Caiaphas being the schemer and he's about to be schemed just hang on now I believe as Jesus has healed Lazarus and he's getting ready to move towards Jerusalem he 
he makes a little detour you'll see that here in the scripture but he heads north up through Ephraim and towards Galilee and I think it's really to say goodbye to all his disciples and maybe even to collect some of his disciples who will follow him back to Jerusalem but I believe that Jesus absolutely knew that Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin were out to kill him he knew his time had come right Jesus knew all along God the Father and Jesus had this plan. He would come to earth. He would die as the sacrificial lamb for all. For all. For God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his only son. Jesus knew that his time was coming. Jesus knew that Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin were coming after him. It says, Verse 53, so from that day on, they plotted to kill him. They wanted, you know, honestly, the truth is they they wanted to have the Passover and not have to deal with this. But Jesus has now raised Lazarus from the dead. He's done one more incredible miracle, and now they're going to have to deal with it at the same time of the Passover. Ha! Imagine that. Imagine that. We're going to have to deal with this issue the same time as the Passover. You understand this, right? You understand this, that God and Jesus had this plan that he's coming as the Passover lamb. He has to die during the Passover. They didn't want to deal with it during the Passover, but now they're having to deal with it during the Passover, and it's just as God and Jesus had planned all along. (laughs) It's perfect. It's perfect. The stage has been set, honestly, for the greatest drama that this world will ever see. It's like when God has, at this time, the people would do the worst, but God's going to do his very best. This is it. Passover. Verse 54, it says, Jesus therefore no longer walked openly, publicly, among the Jews, but departed from there to the countryside near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And he stayed there with the disciples. Just as I said, he traveled a little bit north, knowing what was going on. He's getting ready for the end. Now, to keep this in chronological order, to keep this in chronological order, all right, we are actually in John chapter 11, and we're not going to cover those last two verses because there's something else that happens in between those verses while he's in Ephraim. We're going to jump to Luke 17, Luke 17. So if you got your Bibles, you can uh, turn with me or even uh, punch it in your phones, whatever you want. But Luke 17, verse 11. This, this is an amazing story. While traveling to Jerusalem... He's gone up through Ephraim, Galilee. He's gathered people. He's traveling back to Jerusalem. He passed between Samaria and Galilee. Now, if you know the map that I've shown you many times of Israel, you've got the Dead Sea at the bottom. You've got the Sea of Galilee at the top. You've got the Jordan River that comes down in the middle of them. All right? And then Jerusalem is just north, northwest of the Dead Sea. 
but the Galilee area is up here in the north. Jesus went up north, got some disciples, and he's making his way back towards Jerusalem. You with me? But he has to pass through Samaria. You go, okay, what's the big deal about Samaria? Well, when the northern kingdom was taken captivity by the Syrians, this is church history, the Syrians being Gentiles, the northern kingdom being Jews, they inbred the Jews with the Gentiles. And these Samaritans were half-breeds. And the people in the southern kingdom thought, they're not part of us. They're Patriot fans. It's that bad. (laughs) Dilly dilly. I love it. So Jesus is now passing through really the enemy territory. They're not like us. They're half-breeds. It says... As he entered a village, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at, they met him, but they stood at a distance. They stood at a distance and raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now picture this. Jesus walking into Samaria. And from a distance, there's ten guys. And they're hanging out together from a distance why because they were lepers they had a skin disease like their flesh was rotting it's nasty like you you really don't experience leprosy here even though it's still alive today in the world you really don't experience but you 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 lose fingers toes hands you facial it's nasty and so they they can stay together obviously because they're all contagious with it but they have to stay away from everybody else so they yell at jesus from a distance hey jesus master master actually meaning commander like you can command they they believe that he was the master have mercy they weren't asking for alms they weren't asking for money they were like can you heal us, please? Will you, they're yelling this from a distance, and Jesus sees them. And when he saw them, he told them, it doesn't say that he walked over there. It doesn't say that he yelled at them. I don't know what he did, but he simply said, <laughs> If he knew, if he knew that Caiaphas was wanting to kill him, I can't imagine what his face looked like when he said, go show yourself to the priest. Yeah, I know this is going to click with you here in just a second. Because this is the beauty, this is the beauty of it. He saw them and he told them, go show yourself to the priest. Where are the priests? They're all in Jerusalem, getting ready for the Passover. They're all in that little bitty room. Who's in charge of the priest? Caiaphas. Who's going to be in charge? Caiaphas. He says, go show yourselves to the priest. Why is he telling them to go show themselves to the priest? 
Because in Leviticus chapter 13, once a leper is cleansed, they have to be ceremonially cleansed. And the priest has to spend eight days investigating how they got healed. Jesus says, go to the priest. Watch this. They don't think I'm the Messiah? Watch this. You go check this thing out. And he sends them to Jerusalem to be in front of the high priest and all the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Watch this. And while they were going, they were cleansed. Can you imagine? Literally, they haven't been able to touch their family. They've had to keep a distance from their friends and family because they're contagious. And they're walking towards Jerusalem and all of a sudden, their fingers are like growing back. They're becoming, and it's obvious, and they are flipping out. We're going to go to the priest, and we're going to tell him that Jesus is the one that healed us. Jesus is the one that, and everybody knew they had leprosy. Everybody knew it. Watch this. Verse 15, but one of them. Seeing that was he, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. I, I love this. I love this. Ten guys, lepers, that was their identity because they had leprosy, believed that Jesus would heal them. Jesus said. Go show yourself. As they're walking, they get healed. One guy looks down and he goes, oh, this is crazy. And he does 180 and he goes back to find Jesus. The other nine guys are going to the priest. There's only nine guys that showed up for Caiaphas. One of them was so gracious that Jesus healed him. Before he went to Caiaphas, he went back to his Savior. Now, wait a second. I know what you're sitting there thinking, that the other nine, they just, you know, they weren't as grateful or whatever. But remember this, what healed all ten? Their faith. It was simply their faith. All of them believed that Jesus was the master. Nine of them obeyed Jesus. One of them said, wait a second, I'll obey Jesus, but I'm going back to him first and praising his name. So grateful that I can just bow down before him and call him my Savior, my Master, my Messiah. He is the Messiah. And who was he? He was a Samaritan. identified him as the Samaritan in the group, the half-breed. Jesus said, uh, we're not ten cleansed? He knew. He knew. He's looking, at the, he's looking at the one and he goes, we're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Where are the other nine? How come they didn't come back? Didn't any return to give glory to 
to God except this foreigner? Not to Jesus, but to God. Because God did it, right? You got that? Did not any return to God to give him glory except this foreigner, this Samaritan? The Jews went to the priest, but they didn't come back. And he told him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. All ten of them were saved by their faith. But one was gracious to God. And then, and Jesus, kind of the Pharisees have like tracked Jesus down again. You know, you wish you could just leave on a good note like that. (laughs) Right? You, You just wish you could leave on being gracious to God. But this was not Jesus' earthly ministry. He was constantly attacked and ridiculed. And so now the Pharisees have found Jesus, some of the Pharisees, and being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. They go, if you're really the Messiah, tell us, tell us about how this whole thing ends. It's the one thing, if I get teenagers together, and really adults too and i say okay anything that you want to know (laughs) anything that you want to know i did youth ministry for 15 years and uh here's the top three questions that the teenagers wanted to know you know what they are what would be the first one what's the will of god for my life that's probably more college students what's god want me to do well, I can answer that one for all of you here right now right, real quick. The will of God for your life is to walk by His Spirit. You do that, you're good. You're in the will of God. I don't care what college you go to, where you work, you walk by the Spirit, you're doing the will of God. Second question they want to know is how far is too far in dating? What can I get away with? <laughs> uh, I, I I used to have a line. <laughs> I think about it now. I used to actually have a line, uh, but now I'm like, uh, you do whatever the spirit leads you to do. I trust the spirit in you. That's my answer. And then the third question they always want to know is, tell us about the end times. What's going to happen in the end? And that's the adults, too. The adults all want to know the end. And you sit here in this room, and there's like a hodgepodge of beliefs based upon us reading the Scripture and interpreting it. And again, as I said last week, I said, I, I have my opinion of how it ends, my theology of how it ends, but not not, not sure if it really matters. Because everybody in here has probably got a different opinion. But now the Pharisees are asking Jesus, how does this whole thing come to an end? And he says, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, see here or there, for you see the kingdom of God is in your midst. In other words, what he's saying right here is, we are living in a certain kingdom right now, and that certain kingdom is called the mystery kingdom. It's the kingdom of the church. Like, like, I totally believe Matt, that you can take this book with your men on Friday mornings and you can open it and read it and you can understand it. 
that you can unpack the mystery that's in here right now. That's a beautiful thing. This is what we're doing. Don't depend on me to unpack this for you. You have the same spirit that I have in me. In fact, don't believe a word I say. Just go read this thing for yourself and figure it out. But that's what they're doing on Friday mornings. Tammy, that's what you're doing with your ladies is you're opening the word. And they have the same spirit in them that they can read it and understand it and unpack the mystery. And Jesus is saying, look, we're in the mystery kingdom. They're wanting to know about the messianic kingdom. Well, Jesus came to be the Messiah, but you rejected him. So that messianic kingdom that you're looking for is not happening right now. You rejected the Messiah. The Messiah is going to have to come back. So therefore, you're living in a kingdom, not the kingdom you wanted. It's the mystery kingdom. He said, then he told the disciples... He turns from the Pharisees and he tells the disciples, the days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. They will say to you, see there, or see here, don't follow or run after them. For as the lightning flashes from horizon to horizon and lights up the sky, so the Son of Man will be in, this, in his day. He's talking about when he returns, the second coming of Jesus. He says, but first it is necessary that he suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. This is exactly what's happening right now. The present generation of the Jews has rejected the Messiah. And what happens to that generation? What? They're destroyed because they didn't believe and they actually blasphemed him and accused him of doing all of his miracles under the power of Beelzebub, the devil. And so the Romans come in in 70 AD and destroy 1.1 million Jews, a whole generation, because they rejected the Messiah. I'm just reading. It's not only here. Go to your world history books. Read about it. It all ties together and makes sense. Then verse 26 through 33 right here i'll read them real quick they're really in reference to the tribulation seven years of tribulation right before the second coming of jesus and again this is my opinion of this translation it says just as it was in the days of noah so it will be in the days of the son of man people went on eating drinking marrying and giving in marriage until the day noah boarded the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all It will be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People went on eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day of Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained and heaven destroyed them all. It will be like that on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Talking about after the seven years of tribulation and the second coming. You can look at Revelation 19 and unpack this. I put all my notes on leavener.com every week you can take my notes right here and you can go and look up these scriptures that i'm about ready to throw at you right here but he's talking about the campaign at armageddon and the people that are going with me to israel are going to be standing there and looking over that plateau of land called armageddon in a few months 
says in verse 31, On that day a man in the housetop whose belongings are in the house must not come down to get them. Likewise, the man who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. There was an old song back in the 70s that we sang around the campfire. Two men walking down the road. Remember that song? Some of you, uh, I'm too old. You don't remember that, Mark? Come on, man. Everybody thought it was talking about the rapture. That all of a sudden they'd just be walking along and somebody's going to be disappeared. All the believers would be taken up. Well, he's really talking about in the scripture here. He's not talking about the rapture, but he's talking about the second coming. It's in relationship to the final judgment. And then they say, where, Lord? They asked him, and he said to him this. Where the corpse, where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. Again, they're asking an end times question, and Jesus is giving them a vague answer but if you take all 66 books you can kind of picture and piece together what he's talking about I'll do it for you real quick and again I post my notes at the end of the tribulation seven years of tribulation there's a remnant of Jews that remain and will be believers you can look at Hosea 5.15 Zechariah 12.10 Romans 11.26-27 And they're going to take refuge from the Antichrist in an area called Petra, which is in Jordan. It's also called Basra. It's located in Edom. You find that in Isaiah chapter 34, 1 through 7, and chapter 63, 1 through 6. The Antichrist, who will be in pursuit of this remnant, will be destroyed at Christ's second coming. That's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 and 10. And when he talks about that corpse, that body, he's talking about the remnants of Jews that are left over. It's that remnants of Jews that will remain, that remain while the vultures, the vultures being the Antichrist and his armies that are like circling them, yet they will be secure in Petra. I don't know how it's going to play out. I just look at the Bible, look at the scripture, and go, okay, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Jesus is coming to the end of his life. They're asking him all the vital questions. What's going to happen? What's going to happen when you're gone? And he tries to answer them. We're getting there. Next week, they're still wanting their questions answered. And I told you a couple weeks ago that I was going to go more in depth on this subject. It's a tough subject, but uh, the subject is divorce. And so Jesus talks about it in the scriptures, and we'll lay it out, Old Testament, New Testament. The only thing I know is uh, God's grace is good. God's grace is good. So, Father, I pray that uh, your word reigns true. I pray that This is definitely not about my teaching, but it's about you living and breathing through us and allow us to understand the mystery of your word. 
may we take it may we apply it to our lives may we walk boldly may we walk boldly before the throne of grace each and every day trusting that you are working in our lives and i pray these things in jesus name amen